Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. Really glad that you have been joining us through this series on the book of Romans. Now, my hope is, is that you are uh, really finding these encouraging and helpful uh, in your life. N- not only that these things are good in helping you grow in your understanding of just of, of biblical knowledge and biblical facts, but also growing in your relationship with Christ and therefore uh, having your life transformed through these things. That's why we do what we do. It's why we do theology, so that we can understand who God is, what he wants, so that we can faithfully respond to him. Now, this week we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. I won't cover all of those today. Uh, Some of the other pastors will cover those over the next few days. But I'm going to kick it off with looking at a few verses. But overall, this section, I just want to kind of give a highlight of of how this section starts and, and what this section is kind of going towards. Paul is, again, writing to the churches in Rome, and he is giving them instruction on, first of all, what the gospel is, and then how we respond to the gospel, and how we find faith in God, and and all of those things that we've talked about all the way up to this point. But now, he is going to start to talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to operate in a body or a community of followers of Christ. And he's going to give some instructions. As a matter of fact, over these next 12 verses that we'll look at this week, he's going to give 25 commands that will define for the the followers at at Rome what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to, or what are the behaviors and the thought processes and the patterns that um, the follower of Christ should put on so that, so that they exemplify and resemble who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to jump right in here to verse 9. And, and how I'm going to do this is uh, I'm, I'm going to teach an overarching theme on Sunday. It's actually probably this past Sunday now that you're listening to this. And, and today I want to spend some time looking at uh, some more in-depth just kind of the words and just taking these step by step, and looking at each, uh, each command that Paul has for his churches. So in verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So let's start there with the first phrase. Let love be genuine. Love here is agape. It's the Greek word, and, and there were really uh, three or f- there were four different uh, Greek words for the word love. So we encapsulate it all into one kind of thought and one representative for uh, multiple different ideas that existed in the Greek world and in the Greek language. So there was eros, which was like romantic love, and then there was uh, phileo, which was like familial love, and then there was storge, which was a, a love between friends, and then there was agape, and it was used most rare in the Greek language But when it comes to describing the type of love that God has had for his people, the type of love that God has for us, it is always described in this type of love, agape. And it is a purpose pursuit of the betterment of the other person. So it's really a a very gritty, it's a very committed, a very purposed kind of love. And and it's not that it's devoid of of affection, it's not that it's devoid of of feeling, but but really there is this idea of commitment and there's this idea of of, of grittiness to it. Like it, it's 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 pretty furious and, and holds tight to things. So uh, so God is or he, what Paul is saying is let this love, this this purpose pursuit of others better others betterment be genuine. 
I talked about on Sunday this idea of this word genuine and how it's really an antonym of the word hypocrite. Genuineness, truthfulness, being true, being honest, being real, being authentic. This type of love is so vital to our relationships with each other and our relationship with God. Without being true, we can't really have a trustworthy relationship. And so when Paul is exhorting and he's, he's encouraging the church in Rome, he's saying, if you want to operate with each other, if you want to live in unity, you want to live in community, you want to live like Christ, then you have to be true. You, you, have to, you have to let your love be genuine. You have to be genuinely concerned for other people. You have to be genuine in who you are. You have to be genuine in, in what you're about with where, where you are in life. And so if you're not going to bring a genuineness to uh, the body of believers, if you're not going to be a genuine person, it's going to be very difficult to operate as a follower of Christ. He goes on to say, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That word abhor is just a, a really fancy word for dislike. He's saying, dislike what is evil and hold fast, cling to what is good. Now, this is a complete flip-flop from our nature. And I, it, it's fairly natural for us to really kind of bite into and really even like uh, things that are, we'll just call it like what Paul does, that are evil, like gossip and like slander. And, 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 and the, here's the thing, like I don't think any of us would say that we like gossip but it sure in the heck feels good when we, get, uh, when we get a good juicy piece of information off of our chest, when we vent, when we, when we, um, when we make someone else feel a little bit lower than, than we do ourselves. That kind of feels good. If, if we were being 100% genuine and honest, that feels good at times. So there is this thing inside of us, the sin nature inside of us, that always kind of has some sort, some form of pleasure in, in uh, tearing others down. And Paul's going to say, we have to reject that and we have to begin to dislike those things and we have to hold fast to goodness and we have to hold fast to doing good. And so it's a shift in our thinking and how we are going to operate. It's a shift in our desires. And that means we have to be, be pretty in tune to kind of our motivation for things because it's very subtle and it's often tricky because no one, I, I would say most people do not see themselves as overtly uh, a, a liker of evil. Um, so we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to really understand and see where our motives are kind of twisted, where we're grabbing onto idol worship, where we're allowing ourselves to be led by, uh, by pleasure rather than faithfulness to God. And, and so we have to be in tune with the Spirit to, to understand where we are uh, holding fast to evil rather than good, so that God can, can help us uh, work past that. In verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, uh, Paul switches the word for love here. This is actually the, the word love that we have there at the very beginning of verse 10 is actually the, the phileo love. It, it's the brotherly love. It's the familial love. And he says, love one another with brotherly, and he uses the word again, uh, that, that phileo word again, with brotherly affection. And so the, the whole idea here is that we love each other like a family. And so we're to treat each other like we were brothers and sisters. Um, and, and, and the reference here, though it just says brotherly, would have inferred uh, that, that the men 
loved and respected the other men and the, the sisters alike. And so, so that, that this was mutual amongst whether it be male or female within the body of believers. Then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now this word outdo is one that connotates uh, a leadership, uh, an initiative in doing and showing honor to others. So this leadership, this leading the way, being the first to show honor is, is something that's really a distinctive of, of Christianity. He's saying, you be the one, whether the other person deserves it or not, whether the other person um, is, 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 whether they are reciprocal or they reciprocate the, the honor that you show to them, whether or not that you know that it's going to be repaid even at all, I want you to go and I want you to show others honor. And this is kind of a, a, an other focused, a, a really kind of um, a heart of love and honor in, in a way that is representative of Christ. Christ did not wait for us to come to him, for him to die on the cross for us. No, it was that Christ came and he died on the cross. And because he rescued us and because he redeemed us, we now can show honor and love to others. We are now set free from sin. And now we are able to walk in relationship with God. And, and so what he's saying is that we represent Christ when we are willing to step out in faith and, and lead the way in honoring and, and serving others. In verse 11, he says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be, be uh, fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This just represents a very concerted effort to seek and to serve God. And he says, do not be slothful. Slothful is this idea. Now, how many of you have ever seen the movie um, um, in Animal Kingdom, I believe? Uh, the, the movie, the name of the movie just went out of my mind as I, as I was thinking of it. It's a Disney movie. Well, a while back, uh, the rabbit is a police officer. She goes into the, 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 the DMV there. And who is at the DMV desk but a sloth? And the sloth takes like four hours to go through a sentence and the rabbit's in a hurry. And, and so like you get the picture. The sloth, the, the idea of slothfulness is this idea of, of, of kind of lethargy and lethargy. That's a big word. Lethargy. And it's this idea of kind of like slowness and laziness. He's saying don't be slow or don't be lazy in your zeal. He says be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So so this idea that he has is really this idea of a of excited, a purposed, a diligent pursuit of, of seeking and serving God. How do we do that? Well, it's a mix of discipline and it's a mix of spending time in God's presence. And, and I was just actually talking to Pastor Michael about this this past week, that, that I really feel like the, the cycle of motivation really falls into those two different things. How we stay focused and following Christ and seeking Christ is that, that we have these moments where, we're, where our hearts are stirred and we have these moments that, that we feel very passionate about what we're doing. But then we always follow it up with discipline. As we put these disciplines into our lives, such as prayer and Bible study and, 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 all of, and, and worship, and we start to put these things into our lives, that fuels the passion. And, and it sustains the passion, even if we come into a time when the feelings just aren't there. Well, you, you could say, how do you have passion when, uh, when you don't feel it? Like when you're hitting a dry spell with, with the Lord, how do you have passion if you don't feel it? 
Well, the discipline pulls you through those moments and actually begins to stir your heart again. I think about this with the relationship with my wife. If I don't do the things that uh, I need to do, that, that I need to commit and make a choice to do, if I'm not purposed about doing those things to connect with my wife, to be in my wife's presence, to, to, to do the things that my wife loves to do, the, the passion will never come or the opportunity to, uh, to have that romantic feeling will never come back. But what fuels my discipline, it's those moments when, when I do feel romance again. And so this is how our relationship with the Lord, the rhythm that it has. We are disciplined because it creates opportunity for our hearts to be stirred. And when our hearts are stirred, it creates more motivation for discipline. And so we seek the Lord diligently. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Hope is really this anticipation of what God can do. It's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily that, man, I really hope that God does this. It's, it's, it's an, almost an assurance of, uh, of what God has promised to do. So we rejoice in the fact that God has promised to be with us. We rejoice in the fact that God has promised to give us his Holy Spirit. We rejoice in the fact that one day God is going to make all things right. Now, we don't live in the actuality of that yet, though we see glimpses. But one day we know that God has promised that he will right all the wrongs. And so we rejoice in that hope. So that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, be patient in tribulation. And this is the idea of enduring trials and tests. Now, nobody likes to endure hard times. Nobody wants to wake up and, and, and nobody hopes that they have a terrible day, a difficult day. And nobody hopes that they struggle. But Paul kind of has this mentality that these are just going to be part of life, especially if you want to follow Jesus. There are going to be difficult times. You are going to have to overcome your natural desires, your flesh. You're going to have to overcome sin. You're going to have to walk through times when people reject you. You're going to have to go through these difficult seasons. And Paul's mindset is, instead of wishing that they didn't happen, pray for the strength to endure. And so, he says, be patient in tribulation. And in other places, Paul will say rejoice in tribulations. Actually, James says rejoice in the testing of your faith because it will show that you have genuine faith. He goes on to say be constant in prayer. And this isn't walking around just with our heads bowed and, 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 and always with our eyes closed. Or it's not even necessarily spending hours and hours and hours in prayer every single day. This is an attitude. It's a mindset of prayer. It's one that goes, God, I'm walking with you every single moment of every single day. At any point in time, when I experience something, I can bring it to you right then and there. Even right now as I'm doing this Bible study, I can stop and say, God, I need your help to explain this. And, and, and even if I did it in my mind and I didn't do it out loud, God is, God is there. He hears and so this is the mindset that Paul is trying to uh, get his follower, get the, uh, the believers at, at the churches in Rome to, to bite into, is that they don't have to just simply uh, spend time in a prayer closet, and they don't have to just simply get up and do quiet times every single day. Those things are, are important, 
really he wants his followers to have an attitude of prayer so that no matter what they face, no matter what they go through, they know that they're not doing it alone and they can reach out to God and God can reach out to them. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is a generosity, a level of generosity, both for fellow believers and for outsiders. In, in one of Paul's first missionary journeys, the purpose of his journey was to collect money for the saints in Jerusalem. The, a drought had hit Jerusalem, and the saints in Jerusalem were just struggling, and they were having a hard time finding food, and, and there was a lot of poor among them, and so they just needed money. Well, Paul goes on this missionary journey, and he begins to collect a donation. He goes on a fundraising mission to raise funds for the Jerusalem church. And so, and it might even be that he has this in mind as he says it to the Roman church, that, that he's encouraging them to, um, to, to give money to his cause. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy in remembering, as we started this many, many weeks ago, the dates of, of, the, of the writing of Romans and when his first missionary journey was. But, but Paul, said, Paul is, is encouraging them to be generous to other fellow believers, take care of them, look out for their needs, help them in times of trouble. But then he also says, show hospitality. And this is just an opportunity. It's a mindset to be generous with all that we encounter. Uh, hospitable, uh, hospitality really is, uh, when I think of it, I think of someone who is often opening their home uh, to guests to, to serve them and to honor them and to, and to show them um, a, a gracious time, whether it be through fellowship, through food, um, just even through advice. I, I remember uh, when I was younger, when I first got saved, there was a youth pastor that I had uh, and, and she was a wonderful lady. And, and, and if she's listening to this, I am forever indebted uh, to, to, to her because she would let a young college student stop by her house every single day and ask questions about the faith and just talk about life. She was hospitable to me. It's because of her hospitality that I've grown to be the man that I am. And, and, and there's been a lot of other people that have contributed as well. But, but that, that is one example that stands out in my mind of what hospitality can do. So think about in your life the opportunities you have to be gracious to others, to be generous to others. And it may not be inviting people over to your home. Maybe you're hospitable in purchasing meals for others at work. Maybe you're hospitable in, in providing, uh, providing meals for families that need it or uh, for those that are shut in or for those that uh, have been gone through surgery or, or are ill and down and off their feet. There's a lot of different ways that you can be, uh, that you can show hospitality. And Paul is just encouraging us and, and, and the, the Christians in Rome to have a mindset that is generous and, and a mindset that is uh, focused on others' needs. Now, I can't close without us looking at this because this is uh, Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 5, verse 12, and we're going to be looking through verse 22. And, and I want to bring it to your mind because I, I want you to see Paul's thought in this. Paul doesn't write the, this this section that he has in Romans 12, the wording that he uses here, he's not just telling this to the Roman Christians. 
This is Paul's thought and his, his mindset for what a believer in Christ should look like. And this is what he says to the Thessalonian church. And, and they think that Thessalonians was probably one of the first letters that Paul wrote. He says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over, over you in the Lord and admonish you. He's talking about the elders and the overseers and the pastors and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And you're going to hear that language a little bit later on this week. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak, be patient with them all. Doesn't that sound like, uh, like encourage each other not to be slothful, but to be zealous? It says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Also, very similar to what we just read, and, and, and actually some, uh, some language that will show up a little bit later this week. Rejoice always. Very familiar. Pray without ceasing. We talked about that today. And give thanks in all circumstances, patient and tribulation. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, this is what your calling is as a believer. This is the behavior that you should have. This is the way that you should think, the way that you should live your life. This is the calling that we've been given in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I would encourage you, as we process through these, chapter, through these verses this week, I would keep 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22 close at hand and just on your own time, in your own study, begin to compare and contrast the ways that, that, that Romans 12, verses 9 through 21 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22 look the same. And, 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 and even note the ways that they look different. And then just ask God, why is this so important to Paul? Why should it be important for my life? And how can I begin to make my life look like these things that Paul is commanding? Guys, I hope you have a great week. I'm excited for Pastor Michael and Pastor Mackey to share with you their thoughts on some of these verses. And uh, I hope that these verses really set your heart and your mind to, um, to, to biting into being a follower of Christ. Because again, Paul is not coming up with this stuff as, as new information. He is, he is encouraging the Christians to do this because this is who Christ was. And so, as you look to follow after Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God would help you and that you would find encouragement and that you would find conviction and that your life would be transformed because you understand these verses better. Have a great week, guys.